We're going to be in John chapter 12. This is our, this is our kind of like our highlight here at First Bible Church, right? Where we put the Bible first. So we are in John chapter 12. We've been studying through the book of John very slowly and methodically. And we're right down in John chapter 12, down by verse uh, 35 is where we'll pick up reading in a little bit. And uh, we just deal with what the Bible has for us, where it says it. So we just came across these verses today, and we're going to jump in there and see what it has to say for us. Um, And then afterwards, you might be opening your pool back up this afternoon. I'm not sure. It just feels very, very summery. But uh, John chapter 12, if you're there, just give me an amen. Amen. All right, let's try that again. John chapter 12, amen. Amen. Okay, I just want to make sure we're in the right auditorium here. Okay, well, John chapter 12. Uh, that might be the last amen I get out of you. I don't know. I figure I'll just get one to get started. But um, I was thinking of a metaphor and sometimes how we treat the Lord. And, and sometimes, sometimes, we treat the Lord like he's our spiritual soda machine. Uh, we think God's only there when we want him, like a soda machine that you might pass all the time that you see, you know, walking through and fro wherever you go. And we tend to pass God and pass God by incessantly because we assume that our soda machine is always going to be there with his light turned on, just anxiously waiting for one of us to stop by. And if we're ever in the mood for a drink, and can spare some change, we'll pay him a visit, right? Now look at John chapter 12. I knew I told you I got my last amen after I gave you that metaphor. But John chapter 12, verse 35, look what Jesus says here. Then Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, Believe in the light that you may be the children of light. It's like Jesus Christ is warning Israel and warning his audience to believe in the light because he won't always be there. The soda machine isn't always going to be standing by. And if you keep reading, it gets a little harsher. He says, these things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Yikes. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. It's like Jesus Christ is saying, guess what? If you reject the light while you have it, there's going to come a time when you won't be able to believe. When your eyes will be so shut, you won't be able to see. When your ears have been so stopped up for so long, you won't be able to hear. So while you got it, you better believe while you can see. Why? Because light, this is a principle from the word of God, because light rejected becomes lightning. And light refused becomes light removed. Because what should be a blessing won't always be there if you only come when you feel like it. When you want that drink, when you've got that need, when you feel like pumping a buck fifty into that soda machine because you need something to refresh yourself. That's not how God works because God Almighty is not our spiritual soda machine. So my question for you today and our thought for our lesson is this. Are you rejecting the light? Rejecting the light. I hope it's a sobering thought. I'm not angry at anybody. I have no inside information about anyone or anything. I'm just as dumb as the chair you're sitting next to. But I read in my scriptures and I see the examples of Israel. I see what God says to the Gentiles. And I see how he could swing that around to us. I don't want to be found rejecting the light. While you've got it, believe that you might be the children of light. 
Father, let's just pray. Father, just thank you for this word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the good spirit here today, Lord. I pray there'd be liberty to understand as we look into our word, Lord, whether you have to reprove us, exhort us, cheer us up, Lord, or just hit us, you know, in the chest, Father. I pray we'd receive what the Holy Spirit would have to say to this church right now, this morning, starting with me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Look right there at John chapter 12, verse 41. I want to start with number one, this. God warned Israel, his nation, not to reject the light. And guess what? They did it anyway. God warned Israel, don't reject the light. But they did it anyway. See verse 41. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. In this whole little passage here, in God saying that Israel would come to a place when they could not believe, the Holy Spirit reaches back 700 years and points to a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 6. So why don't you flip there if you have your Bible. We like to turn and look at the verses so you don't think I'm hoodwinking you. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Look over there. And as we flip back to I Oh, flip. Yeah, flip. Whatever, whatever direction. Fall back, spring forward. Whatever we got to do. As we look at Isaiah 6, what connection could there be between Isaiah's warning 700 years prior and what the Holy Ghost was going to see in Jesus Christ's day as he's narrating in John chapter 12? Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So Isaiah gets a glimpse into heaven, and what does he see? He sees a king on a throne. And in John chapter 12, where we were just reading, Jesus had entered into the Jerusalem as a king, getting ready to receive his throne, because that's who Jesus Christ really is. If you get a glimpse of him right now and look up into heaven, you wouldn't see him on a cross. You'd see him sitting on a throne because he's a king. Verse number two. Above it, this is the heavenly throne, stood the seraphims. If you don't know what those are, ask someone else, not me. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain or two he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So he sees these seraphim exclaiming that the earth is full of God's glory. He sees a king and Jesus Christ is a king. He sees them exclaiming the earth is full of God's glory and Jesus Christ had come to earth. Why? To bring the kingdom and fill the earth with God's glory. That's why he came. So Isaiah is getting a glimpse of Jesus Christ that's very reminiscent of the Jesus Christ we're seeing in John chapter 12. Keep reading in verse 4. And the posts of the door moved that the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. And now he sees the heavenly temple is shaken and it's filled with smoke. And if you read through your Bible, you know that is the signal of the start of the great tribulation. In Revelation 15, the house gets filled with smoke in heaven and they get ready to come down. So you see what you're seeing here. You're seeing a coming king. You're seeing a coming kingdom. You're seeing them about ready to step out. That's the connection the Holy Spirit makes between what's happening in John chapter 12 and what was forecast 700 years prior. Now look at verse 9. Verse 9, God gives Isaiah a tough message. I wouldn't like to preach this message at all. Isaiah 6, 9. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, And make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Do you know what God tells Isaiah to preach to his people? Tell your people there's going to come a time when you're not going to be able to find me. Tell your people there's going to come a time when you're not going to be able to see me. Tell your people there's going to come a time when you're not going to be able to get the healing you want because I'm going to hide myself from you. That is tough. Isn't that tough? That is not a positive message. I wouldn't want to preach that message. Hey, guess what, guys? This is going to come a time when you're lost as a bat going backwards in the storm and you're not going to know which way is up. 
God is forecasting his rejection of Israel after he knew Israel was going to reject their coming king. Isn't that sad? Isn't it sad? Just, just think with me for a second. Put your brain on for a second and just think. Isn't it sad how sometimes God's own people reject the only one who's got what they really want? I mean, why did Jesus Christ show up? Not to open a Starbucks. Jesus Christ showed up not to take their money. Keep, them, keep your money, he said. That's what we say today. Keep your money. We're not after your money. You know what he's saying right there? I'm coming to bring the kingdom that you always wanted. And they're going to kill him. And that's how we are today. Jesus Christ has what you really want. You want peace. He's the prince of peace. You want love. God is love. You want joy. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You want all these things. You want victory to be able to get over the bad habits in your life. Jesus Christ I says, I'll give you the power. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Jesus Christ has all you want, but we don't come to him. We treat him like that spiritual soda machine in the corner. When I'm really thirsty and I got some extra time and some extra money, then maybe I'll hit you up, Jesus. But right now, you know what? I'm, I'm good right now. Scary. You know what's really scary? How God will leave you in the dark if you keep rejecting the light. That's just the truth. He might leave. He did it to Israel. He said, there's going to come a day where you're going to reject me and I'm going to leave you in the dark. You're not going to be able to find me or see me. That, does that scare anybody? That scares me. That's a scary proposition. Now go to Matthew chapter 13. Let's see where the forecast of Isaiah is fulfilled. Matthew chapter 13. We like to study our Bibles, look at our Bibles, really understand our Bibles, because the Bible is what's going to get you through, not anybody's oratory or rhetoric. Matthew chapter 13, and I know I talk way too fast. That's because I'm Italian, so I'm working on it. Matthew chapter 13, we see the fulfillment of Isaiah's forecast. And if you're wondering, you know what the book of Matthew is all about. The book of Matthew is all about the king. That's the whole theme of Matthew. It's about the coming king. You want an outline? You want a rundown? Chapter 1 is about the genealogy of the king. Chapter 2 is about the birth of the king. Chapter 3 is the announcement of the king through John the Baptist. Chapter 4 is the preparation of the king as he goes into the wilderness to be tried and tempted of the devil. Chapters 5 to 7 are the constitution of the king. What will his kingdom be like, otherwise known as the Sermon on the Mount? Chapters 8 and 9 are the credentials of the king, the miracles he wrought to testify that he was who he says he was. And then in chapter 10, he chooses some apostles and the kingdom is preached. He sends out people to declare the kingdom is coming, the king is here. And what happens in chapters 11 and 12? The king and the kingdom are rejected. And in Matthew chapter 13, something happens. After the king is rejected by Israel, after the king is rejected by God's own people, after the king is rejected, after this prepared nation that God has taken hundreds and hundreds of years to get ready for this moment, Jesus Christ steps out and says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know what happens in John 12? They reject his invitation. And what happens in Matthew chapter 13? Mm-mm. 13's a bad number, number of rebellion. In Matthew 13, you know what happens? In verse 1, the same day went Jesus out of the house. That's a picture of him turning his back on the house of Israel and sat by the seaside and great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Watch this. And he spake many things unto them in parables. Now he starts talking in riddles. Now he starts talking in these dark sayings because what happened? The light refused becomes light removed. Now Israel's in the dark a little bit. Now they don't understand what he's saying. And in John chapter 12, we read earlier, these things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. You say, how did he hide himself? 
After Israel rejected the king, Jesus Christ hid himself from them in parables, in dark sayings, in things they couldn't understand. What are you talking about, Jesus? And they get frustrated. And in Matthew chapter 13, look at verse 13. You see it? Rebellion. 13, 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 13. Jesus says, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. The light rejected becomes lightning. Now he's saying things and they don't get it. Now Israel is, can't see and they can't hear. You say, why? Look at verse 14. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. Why? For this people's heart is waxed gross, meaning fat. And their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they have closed. They took the first step in rejecting the light, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. You say, why don't they see? Why don't they hear? What's their problem? It's right in their heart. Their problem starts in the heart. Your heart affects everything, physically speaking and spiritually speaking. You've heard of the... ENT doctor, right? You know, the ear, nose, and throat, right? You know why you have an ENT doctor? Because those things all tend to go together, right? Your ear and your nose and throat are all connected. You know what they needed back there in Israel? They needed an HEE doctor, a heart, ear, and eye doctor. Because their heart was affecting their ears and their heart was affecting their eyes. They were all going together, man. Now Israel's in a place where they can't believe. Because their heart is so turned against God, they're not seeing what he's doing. They're not hearing what he's saying because they closed their eyes. And now they're in the dark. And God said, you want the dark? Enjoy it. He let them stay in the dark and starts talking to them in dark sayings, riddles that they couldn't perceive. You know what this shows me? One thing it shows me is this, that God's forecast always comes to pass. God's forecast is always one 100% accurate. Mark it down, man. Mark it down. God's forecast is always going to come to pass. You've heard of AccuWeather? Well, this is the AccuWord because this word is always going to come to pass exactly as he says it, even when it's a tough message, Isaiah. It's coming to pass like God said it was going to happen. So don't mess around with that book. Don't mess around with those prophecies. Don't think you're going to be the exception. You're only going to prove the rule, my friend. God's word is always going to come to pass. God is not my Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Even an honest skeptic who looked at the Bible would say, wow, all these prophecies coming true, there must be something to this book. You better believe there's something to that book. There's a lot to that book. That's the mind of God in print. You say, you make a big deal out of it. You get excited. Yes, we do. And I said the same thing last week, and I'll say it again. The Bible is the mind of God in words. How come you don't spend more time with it? Are you crazy? Are you crazy? If I told you tomorrow, here are the Powerball numbers. Here they are, right here. He says, I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at that. I don't want that, buddy. God says, here, here's the future. Here's the end from the beginning. I don't want to see that. I don't want to know. What? Are you crazy? You got a heart problem if you don't want to know. You got the same problem that Israel has. I don't know what's going on over there. You know what it tells me, though, too? Here's the... Here's the Here's the encouragement. God's forecast is always going to come to pass. But you don't have to be a part of the storm. You don't have to be a part of the storm. You can choose to follow the light while you have it. Even though everybody might go blind and all may go dark, you can choose to follow the light that God gives you and kind of escape the judgment that God might have. Go to the book of Acts. Go to Acts 28. Let me show you this again. Go to Acts 28. You know... We know what Israel was going to do. They would recruit Acts 28, the last chapter of the book of Acts in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts and go to the last chapter. You know what happens? Israel crucifies Jesus Christ. They put the Messiah on a cross. And even after that, God gives Israel a little bit of a chance. 
Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7. He sends all these preachers. Peter preaches a bunch of messages. Stephen preaches one message. And just they, they, they reject everything. And now Paul is on house arrest. And God has turned from Israel to the Gentiles. And Paul sits down and Paul says, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try to convince these Jewish leaders that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And in Acts chapter 28, verse 23, Paul's on house arrest. And he's not crying in his beard. He's not calling the Christian Law Association. He's still trying to minister and preach, even in a tough situation. And it says, And when they had appointed him a day, there came to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, and persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. Wow, this is like a seminar. And some believe the things which were spoken, and some believe not, because that's what happens when you preach the Bible. Some believe and some don't. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their eyes are dull of hearing, and their ears have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. You know what Paul says? Paul goes morning, noon, and night trying to persuade them, trying to convince them, trying to show them that Jesus Christ was their Messiah, and they just kind of do like a, eh. Some believe, some don't. You know what Paul says? Paul says God was right. God was right to say he turned the lights out on you, Israel, because you've closed your eyes. You've closed your eyes, Israel, and that's why the lights have gone out. You look at verse number 29. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. What do you think those Jewish leaders talked about on the way home? He gets all these Jewish leaders in the house and he says, God's going to the Gentiles, guys. God's going to the Gentiles because you don't want it. And what do you think they talked about on the way home? Could that be true? Would God really do that? The soda machine isn't going to be there when I pass it by this, this week? The soda machine is off limits now? You mean I can't get everything that I wanted to get? Wow, the people God had called and prepared for millennia, millennia, he'd been getting them ready, have now been set aside, set aside. Look at verse number 30. Uh, 30. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. By the end of the book of Acts, God has gone from Israel to the Gentiles, from the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of God, and that's where we are today. No longer about a political kingdom coming to earth. It's about a spiritual kingdom in the heart. No longer about a nation being built, but a church being strengthened. No longer about like things you can see, but things that you can't see. Like love and joy and peace and truth. That's what God's focus is right now. It's not always our focus. We're still about what we see and what we can't see. We're still about like, what can I touch? What can I build? What kingdom? How many seats can I fill? You know what God's worried about right now? Your heart. The kingdom of God is within you. So when we preach, you know what we preach at? Our target is your heart. Not your wallet, not your checkbook, not your political affiliation, none of that stuff. You know what God's caring about right now? Your heart. Does God have room to work in your heart? Because he said, look, I'm turning the page, Israel. You didn't want my program? I'm putting you on the shelf. He's not done with them. All right, don't you dare accuse me of being anti-Semitic. Jesus Christ is the, was the Jewish Messiah to a Jewish nation, and he's coming back to restore that Jewish nation and make them the head of the nations, and the rest of the Gentiles will be the goy, the tail. That's what we deserve to be. That, they're going to be the head, and, not the, and we're going to be the tail. So don't misunderstand me. I know in the news we're talking about who's anti-Semitic and who's not anti-Semitic. Don't accuse a Bible preacher of that. No way, man. The Bible says... Bless them that bless you. I'm going to bless them that bless you and curse them. We pray for Israel. We pray for that country. We pray for peace over there, that God would have mercy on them and that their eyes would be open. But God's national program, God went, time out. Stay in the dark. I'm going to shed some light on the Gentiles and give them a chance to be saved. They go to Romans chapter 11. Did that make sense? All right. 
Thank you for participating. Romans 11. Romans 11, verse 7. Romans 11, verse 7. Are they completely blind? No. My good buddy Eli, saved by grace, right? There's a small remnant that is still going to get saved the way you got saved, right? God put blindness temporarily upon them, but not totally blind. There's some people that still get saved that are Jewish in origin, right? Look at uh, Romans eleven seven. He says, what then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. You missed the Messiah. You missed the kingdom. You missed all of it. But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Now, when you see election over there, don't get all crazy. Just look back up at verse 5. It's the election of grace. It's that remnant that was still going to get saved by grace through faith. God knew, I'm going to blind the nation, but some people are still going to have a heart for the truth, and they're going to come to Christ, like my buddy Eli, like my sister Paula, like many others that might be Jewish in nationality, but still they had a heart for the truth and God drew them and they heard and believed the same way you heard and believed. Just a little bit of remnant, he said. It's not going to be the whole nation, but there's going to be some that are going to want the truth and they're going to get it. That's the election. The ones that God said, if they want it by grace, they'll get it by grace. And he says, the rest were blinded. Verse eight, according as it is written, God had given them the spirit of slumber eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back alway. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Is God finished with that nation? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Because Israel rejected the light God gave them, God temporarily blinded them. And Israel learned the hard way that God Almighty is not our spiritual soda machine. And Israel is an object lesson for all of us to not make the same mistake. So I'm going to ask you right now as we finish this point, are you rejecting the light that God has given you? Are you rejecting the light? Because God also warns the Gentiles. How many people in here are Gentile? Amen? All right, we got Italians, Germans, Spanish. We got all kinds of Gentiles in here. We got some Jewish brethren. We got some Gentile brethren. We're all one in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. But God also warned the Gentiles as a group not to reject the light. And do you know what? They're going to do it anyway. Just like Israel. See, look at Romans eleven thirteen. Here's here's Paul now writing to the Gentiles. He says, "For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, it might save some of them." Say, I'm going to talk to the Gentiles now. Jump to verse nineteen. Here's what he says to them. Thou wilt say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. You might think, wow, God got rid of Israel to hook me up. Well, he says, that's true. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, Israel, take heed lest he also spare not thee, the Gentiles. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell, Israel, severity. But toward thee, Gentiles, goodness. If thou, Gentiles, I'm adding that word in to understand it for you, continue in his goodness, otherwise thou, all you Gentiles, also shalt be cut off. See, God points to Israel and says, Hey, you Gentiles, you better not make the same mistake. (laughs) You better not follow suit with them. Because in verse 22, he's saying, if God cut off Israel as a nation for unbelief, he'll cut you off as a group for unbelief. He didn't mean he's going to cut you off individually. He's talking to the Gentiles as a group. He says, you guys, you don't want to accept the light? I'll turn the lights off on you like I turned the lights off on Israel as a group. If God was good, isn't he good? If God was good to give the Gentiles his light, God can be severe and take their light away too. Verse 25, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part, most of them, not all of them, blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Woo! God set them aside so a bunch of 
Ginzos like me could get the gospel. Amen? For 2,000 years, Jesus Christ has been a light to the Gentiles. He's left Israel as a whole in the dark, and he's allowed the whole world to see that light. You know that light was forecast in the Old Testament? In the book of Isaiah, don't have to flip there, in Isaiah 49, verse 6, God told his son, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be salvation, my salvation, unto the end of the earth. Let me ask you, have you seen the light? Well, that was weak. Let me ask it a different way. Are you saved? (laughs) All right? If you're a Gentile and you've been saved, you're living proof that that prophecy came true. He said, I'm going to let my light go to the ends of the earth, that my salvation might be to the ends of the earth. Hey, we got some Italians in here that got saved. Amen? We got hard heads, but we do good when we get saved. All right? We got some Irish people in here that got saved. Amen? We got some Spanish people that got in here and got saved. We got some Arabic people in here that got saved. We got all type German people, Europeans. We got all kinds of people in here that got saved. Why? Because God said, I'm going to send my salvation worldwide. Through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. It was forecast in the Old Testament, and it was fulfilled spiritually in the New Testament. Can you go to the book of Acts? Go to the book of Acts. Go to the left a little bit. Acts chapter chapter 13. Ooh, another 13. Hmm. I wonder if there's a coincidence there. Acts chapter 13. Don't worry, I'm getting the plane off the hangar here. I'm going to take off in a second. Don't get nervous. I'm just laying some groundwork, showing you the Israel, showing you the Gentiles. Go to Acts chapter 13, verse 44. The apostle Paul is preaching now in Antioch, Pisidia. And what would Paul do? Paul would always go to the Jews first because he had a burden for the Jews. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 44, it says, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word, uh, together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, to the Jew first, right? But seeing ye put it from yourselves and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. Aren't you glad that God turned the lights on for the goy? Aren't you glad that God let the Gentiles get some light? That God let the Gentiles? You don't understand. You were outside the promises of God. You were outside the covenants of God. You were just a little dog hoping to get some crumbs from the master's table. That's what God said about Gentiles. And Israel says, now we don't want them. God says, watch this. I'm going to turn to the Gentiles and these Italians and Spanish and black and Chinese and these people that had no idea who God was are going to get saved and love Jesus and know me and they're going to know me better than you know me. You know what's going to do to you, Israel? It's going to make you jealous. You're going to sit there and go, well, that's my, that's my God. That's my Jehovah. What are you talking about? It was done to make Israel jealous. You bump up to an Orthodox Jew, guess what? Orthodox Jews got all the stuff on, the phylacteries, all that stuff. You know what? You pray for that person. But guess what? You know the Bible 10,000 times better than he knows the Bible. He sits there leaning up and down like this and quoting stuff and reading his Talmud and sticking papers on the wall over there in Israel. Guess what? He doesn't know one-tenth of what you know because you know the author. They're still outside dead in trespasses and sins. They're still on the outside like a bunch of stone tablets, lifeless. Guess what? If you've got the Holy Spirit of God, you've got life. You know him. That doesn't make you better than him. That means you are supposed to make him jealous to get what God was preparing them for. Wow. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm glad that God had mercy on the Gentiles and let us see the light. Amen. While you have it, you better believe it. Look at Ephesians 4. Because you know what's happened? And maybe I'll get myself in trouble here. I don't know. I'm good at that. But you know what's happened, sadly? The Gentiles, Ephesians 4 is where I am. Sadly, the Gentiles have slowly but surely been rejecting God's light. And that's where we are in 2022. In the dark. 
We don't know if up is down, if left is right, if good is evil, if a boy's a girl, if, you know, right is, we don't know anything anymore. We're like, we're, people like lost at sea. Why? Because we've been rejecting the light, rejecting the light, rejecting the light. We've had the governments of this world have systematically banned the Bible from the public square. The media outlets that dominate our thoughts censor the creator from the conversation. Isn't that funny? They say, oh, no, you can't say that here. God's like, what are you talking about? I made the power that's working your device. I made the alphabet that you're typing the letters with. You're going to censor me from the conversation? You're going to tell me that you can't open Congress by praying in Jesus' name? Really? The one that holds your breath in life? The one that holds your soul? That's crazy stuff, man. Do you think God is going to give them a pass Look at verse 17. Look at this. Here's what God says about the Gentiles. 417 of Ephesians. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Right? You know what Gentiles do? They worship their education. They worship their philosophy. They worship their thoughts. They think because a guy's got a PhD, MD, LSD, whatever he's doing, they think that somehow makes him smarter than God. No, 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 no. I've got letters after my name. M-U-D. That's what I got after my name. Mud. But guess what? Look, I keep reading. He says, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. It's like God stepping back and saying, the Gentiles of a group have said to God, we like our darkness. We don't want God's light. And do you think the world is going to get a pass You think the dogs are going to get a pass when the children didn't get a pass? You think Israel, you think Israel was going to get to be put in the dark and the Gentiles are going to, you know, I was going to make a gesture there. The Gentiles are going to thumb their nose at God and say, we don't want you. We don't want you. Just stay in the corner. Stay in the corner like that soda machine. And you think the Gentile world is just going to march on their merry way with a Duncan in their hand and their gas in their SUV and everything's going to be great. And they're just going to ride on into their own version of paradise and utopia. Not my God. Not my Bible. God says, payday is going to come Sunday. I reject, I put my own people in the darkness. You think I'm not going to put you dogs out in the yard and let you sit in the dark for rejecting the light? It's all about the light, man. The soda machine is not going to be open forever. You see verse number 18? You say, what was the Gentiles' problem? Their blindness started in their heart. They had the same problem as Israel. There was something wrong with their heart which made them not want to see and not want to hear. Mm. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me show you now. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me show you what God's going to do to the world. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. For rejecting the light. For saying, we don't want that light. We like our darkness. God says, okay. I'm a gentleman. You like the dark? I'll let you stay in the dark. 2 Thessalonians 2 is describing the future. It's describing the great tribulation time that's coming soon to a city near you. It's describing this awful time coming upon the earth when God is going to shake things up and come back and put down the Antichrist and establish his kingdom. And I want to show you what he's going to do to the world, what he's going to do to some of your neighbors, what he's going to do to some of your friends that are here when this great tribulation time comes. That's making me uncomfortable, Pat. Good. Good. It should unsettle you because it unsettles me. It's meant to be unsettling because light refused becomes light removed and light rejected becomes lightning. It's going to get you. See 2 Thessalonians 2.7? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Paul wrote that in his day. The devil was at work to bring in his antichrist back then. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked, capital W, be revealed, meaning the Antichrist, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this 
cause. God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see verse 11? He's saying in the great tribulation, God's going to be the one who's going to blind the world that rejected his light. He says, I'm going to blind them. They don't want the light. I'm going to stick them in the dark. And the rest of verse 11, he says, they're going to believe a lie. The world is going to be so far gone, they're going to believe the devil is their savior. That's the lie that they're going to believe. That that false Christ is the Messiah. That that evil Christ was Jesus Christ. He said, how do I know that? First John 2, 2 says, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist. That's what's going on there. That's what's happening. Keep reading, keep reading. That's the lie, brethren. They're going to believe that. They're going to believe the devil is their savior. That's how twisted they're going to get. And look at verse 12. He says, and for this call, they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. He's going to say, because the world wanted their sin so much more than their savior, God says, okay, I'm going to blind you and just leave you in the dark because that's what you wanted. Isn't that sad? Isn't that tragic? You know what it's like? It's like seeing a guy dying from Ebola. You know when you got Ebola, you're coughing up blood, your internal hemorrhaging and bleeding, your eyes are bleeding, you're coughing up blood. It's awful. It's such a horrible disease. Thankfully, it's so rare to find in the world these days. But it's like dying from Ebola and rejecting the cure because you'd rather cough up blood. That's what God's saying. He says, hey, Gentiles, you're a mess. I got the cure. It's Jesus Christ. I got the cure. It's my risen Savior. You want him? No, no, no. We just love our unrighteousness so much. <laughs> we just love this pleasure of sin for a season. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm dying. We just love it so much in the pig pen. We don't want your light, God. And God says, all right. If that's what you want, lights out. So don't worry about burying Bibles in the Great Tribulation. Don't worry about leaving tracks behind in the Great Tribulation. You know what? This sin-sick world is going to be blind. You could hold the tract in front of them. They, they wouldn't even know what they were looking at. Because God's going to be the one blinding them. And just like when he blinded Israel, a little group got saved. God's going to blind the world. And a little remnant's still going to get saved. They're still going to endure. They're still going to make it. But guess what? The majority, they're going to be blind as a bat. They're not going to know which way is up. And the world will learn the hard way that God is not their spiritual soda machine. He's not. So i got to ask you this before I finish this point. Do you love your sin that much that you'd risk learning the same lesson the hard way like that? I hope not. Because right now, here we are. We talked about Israel in the past. We talked about the Gentiles in the future. And here you are in the present. And God is warning you Right now. You say, is he talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Right. God's warning you right now, right here, sitting in this seat in 2022, not to reject the light. Israel did it anyway. The Gentiles are going to do it anyway. Are you going to do it anyway? Go to Psalm 119. Just a couple of verses left. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119. What are you doing with the light? Are you rejecting the light? Psalm 119 is a familiar verse. Psalm 119, look at verse number 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. A great verse, a great verse. Psalm 119, 105. The Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He said, how do I get light? God only left us one thing to light our way. He left us his word. He said, he said it was like a lamp, right? So it was like a lamp. It doesn't give you all the light. It just gives you enough to see a little bit right now. God says, my word is like a lamp. And if you look at verse number 130, look at verse 130. Same chapter, look at verse 130. 130. Psalm 119, 130. He says, the entrance of thy words giveth light 
it giveth understanding. That's the light. Understanding unto the simple. When you open the Bible, you know what it's like? It's like you get God shining a light on what you need to know about. You can get light on anything. Your marriage, your family, your purpose in life. He'll give you that light. You just got to open the Bible. You got to enter the Bible. And he says, he gives you light. You're simple about something, something you're not sure about. He gives you light. He's a lamp. That's the lamp he left us. You're holding the lamp in your lap. Amen. Mark Twain supposedly said, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the part that I do understand. What are you doing with the light that God's already given you out of the book? You're not that ignorant. There's plenty of things you know. You don't know all of it, but you know some things about God if you read that Bible at all. What are you doing with the light? The Bible says, follow me. Are you following him? The Bible says, to neglect not the assembling of ourselves together. Are you neglecting it? The Bible says, to be holy. Are you trying to get sin out of your life? The Bible says, love me first and love your neighbor as yourself. You're not that ignorant. Don't say you didn't know. You didn't know you were supposed to not roll with that person. You didn't know you weren't supposed to go hang out at the club. You didn't know you weren't supposed to drink that, taste that, touch that, roll with that person. You didn't know, really. Really. God's going to say, you, you knew. You heard that crazy preacher say some things. And he says, there was the light. What'd you do with the light? How about this? I'll, I'll back off a little bit. Don't worry. I'm not attacking you. Don't worry. But I'll back off a little bit. What are you doing to get more light on the things you're still simple about? Say, but I don't know, God. Well, then what are you doing to find out? All you got to do is open the Bible, plug into discipleship, get an older Christian. They'll help you through it. Guess what? We got discipleship here. We'll sit down one-on-one with you, go through that Bible, make sure you understand it. We'll get on Thursday night and lay it out. We'll do it at a minute. We'll keep laying the Bible out, laying the Bible out, laying the Bible out, and taking as much time as you need so you understand what that book means for you and how to apply it to your life. It's there if you want it. The entrance of thy words giveth light. The problem is we don't really want it. Our eyes have gotten used to the dark. We kind of, we're okay. Soda machine's over there if I need them. But God says, I'm not a spiritual soda machine. Go to Proverbs chapter 4. Go to Proverbs chapter 4. I just got two verses left. Proverbs chapter 4. I told you the plane was going to take off. Proverbs chapter 4. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. What are you doing with the light? What are you doing to get more light? You know what? You got a problem? You got a problem like anger? You got a problem like pride? You finding out what the Bible has to say about that? You got a problem with lust, a problem with jealousy, a problem with all kinds of stuff? Hey, you finding out what the Bible has to say about that so you get victory over it? The light is there. What are you doing with the light? What are you doing to get more light? Proverbs 4.18, look at it. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. He's saying, the more light you believe the more light you're going to receive. That's how you walk with a lamp, right? You don't see the whole path, but you take a little step and you see a little more. And you take another step and you see a little more. And pretty soon, you see the whole picture because you're following the light. Are you following the light? Listen, if light refused becomes light removed, then light received becomes more light. If light rejected becomes lightning, then light believed becomes a blessing, right? The more you follow the light, the more God says, oh, wow, I could trust that guy with light. I'm going to give him some more light. But if you don't want the light, God, I can't give you any more light because this is special, this light. I'm not just going to throw it around. You want the light? Yeah, I want the light. I'm going to give you more light. He said, I don't want that light. I don't, I don't want to follow that light. Well, all right, then I'm not going to give you any more light. That's what God is saying here. That's not cruel. That's just, that's God. That makes sense to me, Right? You know, I'm, a, I'm an educator by trade, and much has been learned in the past few years about something called the neuroplasticity of the brain. Neuroplasticity. Don't, Alan Wood, don't correct me. Don't fact check me, all right, Alan Wood? But uh, uh, what we educators have learned is that the brain has shown, has an amazing ability to adapt and change and actually kind of like reshape itself depending on stimuli to kind of groove a certain way depending on what you do or don't do. It's kind of like the analogy has been made to treading a path in a field. 
You walk into this field and you just start walking across this path. And the first time you do it, it's like difficult, right? Because there's no groove there for you. But the more you tread that path, the more you walk in that same place, the more you make that groove and the easier it becomes to go in that direction. Does that make sense? Because there'll be a quiz at the end, okay? So that's what this neuroplasticity, if I was to simplify it down, is that your brain, believe it or not, grooves itself and moves and shapes and changes depending on how you act, how you behave, how you respond, what you do. You kind of rewire your circuit board up here. That's the reason why the more you turn to drugs and alcohol to cope, the more you keep hurting yourself. I've seen the brain scams. People that start using stuff and getting those dopamine shots and dopamine shots, guess what? Their brain doesn't scan the same way as your brain. It's been reshaped. It's been rewired. It's been adapted because now they've walked that way and they've grooved their brain to say, hey, when I'm stressed out, when I'm messed up, I'm going to reach for a drink. I'm going to take this pill. I'm going to stick this in my arm. And the more you do it and the more you do it and the more you do it, you're teaching your brain and your brain is moldable and adaptable and shapeable. And pretty soon you're on the outside going, why don't you just stop? And you know what? Some of them, they can't stop. Because they've trained themselves and their brain has been rewired because every time a stress comes into my life, I'm just going to reach for that poison. And they've grooved their brain to respond that way. And that's why their life is so difficult to get off that that mouse wheel, to get off that merry-go-round. It's why the more a child finds amusement in a screen, the more that child craves a screen. God help you. You take a two-year-old and you stick them in front of an iPad And they begin to learn, this is fun, this is entertainment. You know what happens? They get that hit of dopamine in their brain, they get that pleasure in their brain, and their brain starts saying, oh, that's how we get pleasure. We need that screen for pleasure. We need that screen for joy. We need that screen for interaction. This screen makes us happy. And you're grooving their brain to respond that way, and then they're 15 years old at the dinner table with their face glued to a screen. Why? Because they've been grooving that way, their mind has been shaped that way, to always turn to that screen as that source of comfort and pleasure and solace follow the science that's what they're saying so let's extrapolate that out to the spiritual realm the more you believe the light God gives you the easier it becomes to believe God the more you groove yourself that way and develop that spiritual muscle that when God gives me a promise, I'm going to believe it. When God gives me a promise, I'm going to believe it. When God shows me some light out of this word, I'm going to believe it. You know what that's going to do? You're going to start, it's going to start becoming muscle memory. It's going to be easier and easier for you to believe God when the preaching or the witnessing or the word is put in front of you. But the opposite is also true. The more you reject the light God gives you, the harder it will become to believe God. Because you've trained yourself to not always believe God, to not always believe God, and you're grooving yourself to go a different way, to turn away. And the more you do that, the easier it becomes to just go the wrong way. Mm. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Does that make sense? All right. Trying to make a parallel there. Colossians 1. Now, God's word, I'm going to end with this thought here. Don't worry. I'm aware of the of the time and the heat and the fact that I'm drenched in sweat. Colossians chapter 1. You say, why are you saying all this, Pat? Why could you tell us something nice? Let me ask you something. Are you rejecting the light? Are you thinking that your soda machine is going to be available forever? If you don't believe the light while you have it, you may not be able to believe when you need it. Because you're training yourself to keep your eyes closed. You're training yourself to keep your eyes closed. And God says, I'm just going to leave you that way. Now, God's word is a lamp. Amen? But godly preaching, godly preaching, godly preaching is a flashlight. That's what godly preaching is. Godly preaching is not a lamp. Godly preaching is a flashlight. You know what a flashlight is supposed to do? Bible preaching is supposed to be a warning. For anybody who's in the dark, don't worry, I'm not going to hit you with it, all right? That's what a flashlight is. A flashlight, oh, you're in the dark? You need help out of the dark? That's what a flashlight's supposed to do. Bible preaching is supposed to be a flashlight to warn you that you're in the dark and you need to get out of the dark and I'll, you know, show you the path to get back to the light. That's what, that's what Bible preaching is supposed to be, a flashlight. 
I hit that twice before. The epileptic setting is there, too. The seizure-inducing setting is on there, too. I want to hit that one. You know, that's what Bible preaches. That's what I'm doing. I'm warning you. In the Old Testament, God spoke to Ezekiel. You know what he told Ezekiel? He said, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Preaching shines a light on your heart and shines a light on your sin and shines a light on where you are and says, you're in the dark. Come back to the light. Colossians 1, you say, well, we, we're in the New Testament, Pat. We're in the, yeah, we're in the New Testament. Let me give you some New Testament. Let me give you some Pauline New Testament church doctrine. You know what Paul said in Colossians 1.28? He said, we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You say, we follow Paul. Yeah, I follow Paul. You know what Paul said? Paul said, I'm going to preach to you and teach the Bible to you to warn you so you're not ashamed when you stand before Jesus Christ. And we preach to you, and we teach the Bible to you, and we expound on the wisdom of God to warn you so you're not ashamed on your presentation day. So when you, the bride, are presented to your bridegroom, there's nothing between you and him that you got to blush about or be embarrassed about. That's what preaching is supposed to do. Shine a light on some things. And I'm telling you, here's my warning to you. If you're rejecting God's light, there's something wrong with your heart. I don't know what it is. I'm not God. But if, you're, if this bothers you so much that you're like, ah, I don't want that Bible, I don't want this. I'm preaching to the choir. I know you're here. But when the light is shown to you and you get that, that thing, you stiffen up and something inside you goes, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. You know what that is? That's a heart problem. And preaching is supposed to expose that heart problem and say, you're rejecting the light. Why don't you want what God wants? He wants what's best for you. Why are you ignoring what he's saying? Why are you turning for what he's saying? There's something wrong with your heart. And we're supposed to learn a lesson from the Bible. And if you reject the light and have the same problem as Israel in the past and the same problem the Gentiles have today and in the future, you know what's going to happen? If you reject the light, God may go dark on you like he did with Israel. That book may start sounding like a bunch of dark sayings. I don't understand it anymore. I don't know what you're talking about, Pat. I don't see it. Yeah, you know what the problem might be? You might be in the dark and God's leaving you in the dark. And like the Gentiles, if you refuse the light, God may let you believe a lie like he'll do with the Gentiles. You may get so deluded that you think up is down, wrong is right, and you're going in the right direction, and you're actually going in the wrong direction. That's how far you can go, brethren. That's how, I'm warning you. That's how far you can go. You can get your spiritual head so far up your butt that you don't know which way is up. I'm telling you the truth. You see it all the time. I love you. I'm warning you. Don't reject the light. Don't turn from the light. Can you finish in John chapter 12? Finish where Jesus started us in John chapter 12. Thank you for your kind attention, but just finish where Jesus started us here in John chapter 12. I hope these words might resonate a little more with you now in John chapter 12. Look what Jesus said in verse 36. Now you see it now. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. Let's take heed to the warning of Jesus Christ, will we? Shall we? Let's believe in the light God's given you. I don't know what God's given you light on, but I know right now, if you've opened in that Bible and you're listening to the preaching of God's word, the Holy Spirit's saying something to you. He might be saying, you need to be saved, sir. You need to be saved, ma'am, and you're going to kick against those pricks. There's going to be a day when God's going to stop knocking on your door. And woe be the day when that day comes when God says, I'm through with you. You might be a Christian sitting here today, and God's convicting you about something. He's saying, you can get better in this. You need to work on that. Get that out of your life. Keep going in that direction. Turn from this one. Don't hang out with that one. He's telling you something, and if you just say, ah, that's just Patty's crazy. That's just the Bible. It's an old book. I'm not going to. You know what? It may be coming a day where God would say, okay, I'm going to stop knocking on that door. I'm not going to. You don't want me to bother you? I'm a gentleman. I will leave you be. Because our God is not some spiritual soda machine. He's not here for you. You're here for him. 
and he'll be here for you, but you gotta come to him on his terms, not your terms. You gotta believe when he says to believe, not when you choose to plug in. That's the Bible. That's what God is saying. That's the warning. That's the message. And I'll end with the words of Peter in the book of 2 Peter. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. He's saying, we've not followed cunningly devised fables. We're following scientific, mathematical, fulfilled prophecy and proof. And you know what he says there, that old Peter, that old salty fisherman? He says, you would do well to hold on to the light. You would do well to take heed to the light. You would do well to not turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to God's light because you're in a dark place. And this is the only light you got. This is what's going to make you through the storm until Jesus Christ comes and splits the eastern sky with the brightness of his coming. This is your light. What are you doing with the light? Receiving it or rejecting it? Let's stand to pray together. Let's stand for prayer.